Good morning and welcome to the Coinbase Institutional Market School. My name is Ben Floyd and I'll be your host for today. It is Tuesday, 21st of February at 9.30am Eastern, so please keep this in mind if you're listening or watching later on in the day. Today, I'm joined by David Duong, our Head of Institutional Research, Greg Sutton and George Toroprov, two senior CEO sales traders, and Sid Shakar, a senior blockchain researcher. To our agenda for the day, we're going to kick off with a market update from George, running through all the latest news. It's been a very positive week for digital assets this week. We're then going to run through some DeFi and Web3, most notably what's happening on the NFT side of things and NFT platforms. We're then going to run through macro and research. We've got Fed Minutes, among other things this week to look out for. And then we're going to finish up with some trade flows. Quick reminder, this is also available on podcasts, so please subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever your platform of choice is. Without further ado, George, over to you, what's been happening in the markets this week? Thank you, Ben. Uh, yeah, as you said, some um, very solid price action over the last week or so and quite a big turnaround from the week before. And again, to me, it feels like uh, this rally really took a lot of people by surprise, myself included, um, just in terms of how quick the turnaround was compared to the previous week. So BDC is testing the uh, 25K area right now. It's up 13% uh, on the week and uh, ETH is up uh, around 10%, uh, currently trying to establish a foothold uh, around the $1,700 uh, level. So some pretty big move in the majors and uh, some even larger moves in the altcoins. And personally, I think uh, if we do break here in BDC above 25K, then uh, obviously the next target being a 30K. Uh, but that's not to say that it's going to be easy because uh, we've seen over the last couple of days that um, 25K is actually a pretty formidable uh, resistance. And um, also, if you consider some risk factors for the market more broadly, for instance, that the risk assets or equities, for instance, have not really budged at all uh, while um, we started to price more hikes than uh, the Fed is even signaling in the futures market. But having said that, if we do break above 25K, um, I think altcoins will outperform. And uh, the thing to watch uh, could be some of the old-fashioned DeFi protocols and uh, L1 legards. So I'm thinking uh, like the unis, uh, sushis, links, and dots of this world that have uh, very established ranges over the last couple of months. And uh, they haven't seen as much upside as some of the more popular narrative coins, um, like AI tokens, for instance, or uh, ZK tokens. Um, uh, but having said that, again, I think if you are looking at technical analysis, uh, then there's something pretty interesting in the uh, Tom Daymark sequential indicator. So that's uh, setting itself up uh, for a weekly uh, sell signal in BTC and in, in a couple of the other uh, top performing coins like um, Adam, for instance. Interesting. George, so you're saying that we're kind of in the first sort of stage of the rally potentially where Bitcoin rallies more. Uh, even outperforming ETH this week. Uh, and then the, the second phase, typically in crypto, is when you've got the, the L1s and some of the, the kind of DeFi uh, blue chips, let's say, rallying. And then maybe the third stage is where you get the, the altcoins and the, the kind of the longer tail high beta stuff. Um, is, I guess on the, the bullish side of things, is that kind of roughly where we are, where you think we are? Yeah, definitely. I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of moving like one after the other. And uh, I think... Um, really narrative trading, like as soon as we hit a range and BTC, for instance, narrative trading is the name of the game. Um, so over the last couple of weeks, we talked about the ZK narrative, uh, liquid staking derivatives, I think uh, curb DEXs or DEXs more generally is another one that I'm watching. Um, decentralized stables, uh, so the makers, Avis, uh, Frax of this world, uh, AI coins and um, 
I think another one is probably the, the China coin uh, narrative that has been uh, gaining some popularity. Uh, so I think these will be all uh, things to watch after uh, we get the, the potential first breakthrough in BTC. Yeah, it's interesting. The AI coin definitely kind of smells of similar rallies we've had in sort of 2017, 2021, where there's not any kind of, at least to, to my mind, any real uh, credibility to why these assets, these AI coins should be rallying. There's no real connection to ChatGPT, OpenAI or anything like that, but it's just very much uh, a narrative thing, like adding blockchain to your name in 2021 was a positive thing to do and uh, kind of retail and other people kind of move as a result of that. I guess one thing just would love to dig into a little more, you, you mentioned uh, kind of BTC and um, some of the uh, kind of other things happening on BTC in, in the past and conversations we've had. Um, BTC L2s, what's going on there? And I know David and Greg would love to bring you in here. I know you, you've got some thoughts on that too. Uh, yeah, so actually, if you look at the altcoin, so one I put up here in terms of the top performers was uh, Stacks, uh, which is, um, I mean, I, I read some descriptions that um, talk about it as a Bitcoin L2 for smart contracts. Some others talk about it more as a sort of separate L1 sidechain to Bitcoin. But in any case, it does have a separate ledger outside um, the BTC blockchain to store data, with the goal being to make Bitcoin fully programmable. And um, so that one's up 143% uh, over the weekend. Ultimately, I think this move just comes on the back of uh, the Bitcoin ordinals, uh, which are similar to NFTs, which we talked about in um, the last uh, podcast last week. And I think the logic here is that basically on the L1 scale, uh, there is a natural limit uh, in terms of, uh, you know, deploying NFTs or uh, these ordinals. And then L2 can provide um, some more uh, scalability uh, for that. Uh, so I think that that was the the main driver here uh, for the rally in stacks. Interesting. And uh, David, would love would love to bring you in here. Uh, I know we were chatting about this over the weekend. What's what's kind of your view on on BTC L2s and uh, additional functionality on on Bitcoin? Yeah, it seems like there's going to be announcements in terms of further developments on stacks later on. But in the past, we've seen this. This isn't a new protocol by any means. Uh, it's, it's been around for a little while. But I think uh, in the past, it faced some criticism. Some people kind of argued about the centralization issues uh, surrounding stacks. Uh, but although we probably should also consider the source because there were alternative kind of L2 projects that were competing. Uh, and maybe they are the ones who kind of were the source of some of those complaints. Uh, but, you know, I, I agree kind of with uh, George. I, this probably wouldn't be getting as much traction if it hadn't been with the popularity of ordinals. Interesting. So ordinals, let, let's stick on them for a second. Sid, we'd love to bring you in here. What's been happening this week in terms of uh, ordinal prices and new, new uh, inscriptions, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, uh, the number of you know, newly created ordinals has been spiking quite a bit, uh, causing you know, a, a surge in transaction fees. And then also the average block size on the Bitcoin blockchain has, has increased. Actually, uh, one of the uh, biggest proponents of ordinals uh, is a popular crypto Twitter personality called Udi, uh, had one of the largest Bitcoin blocks ever uh, with, uh, with some of his inscriptions on it. Um, and uh, and you know there's kind of two camps forming. One is there's a core group of developers, Bitcoin developers that that are saying that this isn't the proposed use case of the Bitcoin blockchain. While others are saying actually it, it opens up a new commercially viable use case where there's an entire ecosystem that's built around ordinals. Um, and also with these increased transaction fees, miners have an incentive to actually secure the network uh, in the presence of you know decreasing 
uh, block rewards over time as as happenings continue to occur on on the blockchain. So there's kind of these two camps forming. Um, and then, of course, in the meantime, we've also seen forking. So, uh, you know, inscriptions have been forked to Litecoin as well uh, this past week. I, I love it. This, this space is quite predictable, isn't it? Um, in, in, in that sense. Uh, I'm curious, are we seeing any uh, any interest from like, the Bitcoin Cash community? Obviously, bigger blocks, more inscriptions in there. Is anything happening there at all? Uh, nothing as much. There's been some chatter for sure. Um, uh, you know, I think I think we'll probably see this forked on most of the chains that support, uh, you know, uh, Taproot, uh, and uh, and probably it also drives other uh, UTXO chains to also upgrade because it's it's such a huge narrative, and we've obviously seen the success of NFTs on on EVM on on Ethereum. So uh, it's a, it's a chance for UTXO chains to gain more adoption. Interesting. And just staying on uh, NFTs here, I know you wanted to, to run through some NFTs. Let's move to your, your next chart and we'd love to hear from you around the NFT marketplace uh, battle heating up. Yeah, for sure. So um, this this past week uh, saw the launch of uh, the Blur uh, NFT marketplace uh, native token, uh, which was airdropped to users. Um, currently, the market cap of the token is at over $400 million, the $3.3 billion fully diluted valuation, uh, which is pretty wild. It's one of the largest airdrops in history. Uh, and uh, what it's really spurred is uh, uh, a heating up of, of competition with NFT marketplaces. So as you can see in the chart for folks following along visually, um, you know, Blur's had, you know, over $400 million of volume uh, in uh, NFT trades over the past week. Uh, surpassing OpenSea, which is the clear leader uh, before it, and um, and uh, the surge in trading volume is is not just because of the tokens themselves, but actually blue chip NFT collections that have been uh, trading at pretty high of volumes across the marketplace. Uh, and a part of this is probably due to the incentive model that Blur is introducing, uh, where uh, you know new activity on on the exchanges is incentivized by the tokens. Uh, and uh, especially there's this, they have this notion called bidding pools where you can bulk trade NFTs uh, instead of just trading one each each individual NFT. Um, so yeah, a bunch of these kind of factors are combining. And over the past week, it was the number one uh, app on Ethereum in terms of gas usage as well, surpassing Uniswap and OpenSea. Uh, so something to keep an eye on. For those uh, on the podcast, the, the fees for Blur look about sort of 400 million dollars on the chart for OpenSea were under 100 million. So kind of 4x the um, the, the, the fees earned that week. I'm curious, so this, is this kind of a good example of like a free market economy? You've got a new product, cutting fees, putting pressure on the incumbent. And, and can we expect to see more and more of this kind of driving prices to zero ultimately? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, there's been a there's been quite a bit of uh, pressure from the NFT community for OpenSea to improve its user experience uh, and also contentious issues around royalties to to artists and things of that nature. So I think it, it is the kind of the free market uh, economy, but but also uh, introducing the Web3 dynamics to it. Uh, so having a token in the mix, uh, seeing how that token is integrated into the marketplace and the incentives it provides for trading. Uh, we saw this again with DeFi, with Uniswap and SushiSwap, and we saw how that turned out. Um, so a lot of learnings, I think, there, and you know, it will be interesting to see how this plays out as well. George, we'd love to bring you in here. I know this is an area that you've been looking closely at. 
Yeah, I love the comparison, Sid, that, that you made with uh, Union and SushiSwap trying to gain uh, market share. Um, one thing I'm, I'm curious about, like to hear your take, is um, do you think Blur will be able to maintain these kinds of volumes? So you mentioned, obviously, massively uh, outperforming OpenSea over the last week. If you look at numbers over the last month, for instance, um, I think uh, Blur traded or Blur roughly $800 million worth of NFTs were traded. OpenSea just a little bit shy of 700. And then uh, the number three, I think, is X2Y2, which uh, only had roughly $65 million of volume. So it's a massive, massive gap. So I'm just wondering if it's a case of, you know, airdrop farming again, or um, whether you think that they'll really be able to maintain these volumes. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, looking at the data today, it seems like it might be a little difficult unless they have some traction for within smaller retail traders. So a lot of this trading volume has been driven by uh, NFT whales, uh, one of the key addresses on chain. They go by Machi Big Brother uh, .eth, uh, been trading you know hundreds of millions of uh, dollars worth of NFTs per day on Blur, um, and uh, you know it, it, this is with the expectation of a future airdrop. Um, of course, uh, another airdrop, season two airdrop of the Blur marketplace. So uh, we'll see if it sustains. Uh, this is, again, similar to the Uniswap story. We've seen like some of these top protocols just kind of maintain some sort of brand value that despite incentives or lack thereof, uh, you know, retail users still tend to stick to them and list on them and trade on them. So uh, not sure if OpenSea has that kind of effect yet, but it seems like it, it might have. So certainly, uh, certainly one to watch. Uh, I'm definitely going to give it a go this week and just try and compare and contrast, see what it's like versus Uniswap. Um, always, always fun trying out these new pro protocols. So, Sid, while, while we've got you, um, there's been some kind of additional or new fundraising in the ZK space. There's obviously been a ton of excitement there this week. We saw Renegade, a ZK dark pool startup, raise three and a half million. We saw Sysix uh, raise six million as well. Uh, I'm curious, that's obviously a hot space, a hot topic. Like, what are your thoughts on that and kind of how the, the year plays out in the ZK space? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think it's a huge wave uh, of applications and protocols and uh, and an entire ecosystem uh, developed around the ZK narrative coming up over the following few months. Sysic, uh, for example, is a hardware startup that's aiming to make like ZK chips, I believe, uh, to make the computations uh, more efficient uh, than what the current chips are capable of. So uh, this is like an entire ecosystem. Then then there's applications, of course, like Renegade, uh, and then there'll be the usual stack of DeFi applications. And then um, I think we mentioned this in previous calls as well, uh, actually novel apps, novel primitives that actually make use of uh, the underlying ZK tech uh, to kind of um, Prove, prove certain things without actually showing the full information. So we'll see how that develops. It could lead to identity-based uh, dApps, credit-based dApps, and other forms of primitives that we haven't even thought of. But I think it's going to bring a wave of uh, innovation to the space. And, and, and I think what this is fueled by is this capital raises. Like, I mean, there these applications, of course, raising money, but also the underlying protocols have raised uh, tremendous amounts of money, and there's going to be a huge launches coming up. Of all these ZK EVMs, we have a Scroll, uh, ZK Sync, Polygon, ZK EVM, and several others coming down the pipe. Yeah, it always gets me excited when people actually think of a new use case that wasn't possible with the old tech, uh, as opposed to just a copy and paste. So yeah, hope, hopefully we see a ton more of those uh, in, the, in the coming months and years. 
Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Sid. Um, moving on to macro. Uh, so David's joining us from Singapore. It's very late his time. So thank you for, for joining us, David. Um, we've got a few bits of this week. We've got existing home sales. Uh, we've got Fed Minutes, jobless claims GDP. Um, Atlanta Fed President Bostic is also speaking as well. Um, I guess what are some of the bits you're keeping an eye on this week, David? What's, what's most important? Yeah, you, you forgot one thing, which is uh, PCE deflators. And Typically, those are not numbers that I think most people kind of pay attention to, particularly since, uh, for the most part, it comes after CPI. Uh, so already you kind of know what prices look like. But this time around, I think uh, it's having some kind of attention because people are expecting that core PCE, in fact, could actually show higher prices both on the monthly as well as the annualized uh, numbers. Now, the issue there really is, you know, how much is the employment data kind of putting pressure on domestic demand? And I think that even though we saw some of the, those CPI numbers, of course, this is the Fed's kind of preferred uh, inflation gauge. So I think a lot of people are kind of looking and watching right now to see what's going to happen there. Um, I think already markets have kind of priced in uh, the uh, higher terminal rate, which is probably appropriate at this point. You know, they were undershooting uh, for a while because they believe that the Fed would be forced to kind of, uh, you know, pivot and or at least kind of not be as aggressive in terms of its hiking cycle. Uh, but now I think people recognize that inflation prices could actually be a lot stickier here. So we're seeing that now we're pushing above five and actually pushing even above what the Fed was initially uh, signaling in the top plot. Interesting. Yeah, Greg, I'd love to bring you in here. We were chatting about this over the weekend about kind of markets expectations of kind of where terminal rates are, et cetera. Like, I guess, how, how does it feel to you, like in terms of how people are positioned and, and kind of how they perhaps should be positioned? Yeah, uh, well, I would say the narrative certainly changed in the past um, week or so. You know, through January, there was this focus on the coming Fed pivot. And, uh, you know, as David said, the market was actually pricing a lower terminal rate than the Fed. Um, the Fed hasn't changed any of its messaging. The market's just met the Fed. Um, but we haven't seen that filter through into some of the riskier assets like equities and uh, especially crypto. So, um, you know, it, it's my view that as rate expectations are ratcheted up, um, you know, I would expect to see some of these uh, assets such as U.S. equities and crypto um, start to soften a bit. Interesting. George, I know this is something that you've been, been looking at as well. How are you thinking about it? Here is that um, it's really important to see how the market reacts to different types of headlines. And if there are negative headlines, number one, are we reacting negatively to it? And if we do, how quickly do we retrace the moves? And uh, we've seen, for instance, with the regulatory headlines that we had over the last couple of weeks, um, that the market did indeed react negatively at first, but uh, we've retraced these moves very, very quickly, which again, sort of, um, fits into the same picture that Greg was just describing, that the narrative definitely has uh, changed and the market is a lot more constructive right now. Amazing. Thank, thank you, George. I think we lost you at the start there. So George was saying that the market is reacting very positively to, to all different types of news. Um, and that's obviously an important gauge. Um, in, interesting. And David, so you're in Asia for the next kind of week or so. Um, one of the themes that we've kind of heard from some clients, some particularly well-informed clients that know that space very well, is around a softening in uh, to crypto from, from China specifically. And we saw Hong Kong um, change their stance on the retail uh, crypto trading ban. Um, 
how, how are we all thinking about this, guys? Is, is, do we put any credence to some of the theories that a lot of the, these flows are coming from, from Asia and uh, that's why the market's higher? Yeah, I would say that initially the expectation was that, uh, you know, the rules that were put forth by the authorities in Hong Kong would really only pertain to institutional investors rather than retail. Uh, but that approach seems to have since changed. But it's important to remember that this won't take place until June. So there's still time. Uh, I, I don't think that it's directly impacting the flows at the moment. But uh, it does seem like Hong Kong is trying to set themselves up as not just a financial kind of hub, but also a financial and techn technological hub as well. Perfect. Greg, what are, what are you seeing from, from that perspective? And we'll cover flows in a second as well to see what we're see, see if it's coming through in our, in our flow back on exchange and on the desk. Yeah, I agree with David that uh, it's very positive news, um, but I don't think it's impacting the flows at the moment. We actually looked at the hour by hour uh, flows in BTC and ETH. And if it was buying out of the APAC region that was driving us higher, you'd expect to see outperformance during the APAC hours. And we actually didn't see that. We saw most of the outperformance came during U.S. hours. Uh, additionally, we didn't see any premium in BTC traded on the Asian exchanges versus BTC or ETH, for that matter, traded on the U.S. exchanges. So I think it's a really positive development in the space, but I don't think we're feeling its full effects yet. Interesting. And Sid, I know you keep a close eye on kind of all things data. Is there anything else that kind of supports or, or disputes this at all? Um, yeah, I, th I think one counterpoint to this uh, on on sp particular protocols, uh, specifically uh, you know NFT protocols, uh, the Google search trends. Uh, if you look at the metrics, it's it's openly available to anyone. Um, the search uh, volume from China has spiked quite a bit over the past week. Uh, if you search a blur NFT or NFT marketplace, OpenSea, a lot of these search terms, uh, China is usually the number one country on, on the Google search trends list. So some credence to the fact that, you know, potentially more interest uh, from the East. That's really interesting because you would have thought that the, the Great Firewall would probably like catch a lot of that and stop people searching it um, unless they're using kind of everyone's using VPNs. But that, that's, that seems quite interesting that people are getting through. Um, Greg, we'd love to hand back to you on the flow side of things. Like what, are, what are we seeing on the desk on the exchange? Yeah, um, so volumes on exchange have steadied at a level lower than we saw in January, but higher than late last year. Uh, the mix of assets continues to reflect a healthy market with BTC and ETH making up about 50% of total volume. Uh, if you recall, during some of the stress of 2022, we saw BTC and ETH make up you know 70% plus of volumes. So you know now that we're seeing a more diverse set of assets garner attention from investors, I think that's a very healthy sign. If you know we look at our client segments, traditional and crypto-focused hedge funds were net buyers last week, as were traditional VCs. Most other groups, though, were still passive sellers. Um, in speaking with clients, yeah, I think George mentioned this. You know, there's a lot of surprise in how well crypto has traded over the past. I guess two or three weeks, maybe even this year, to be fair. Um, but especially given the regulatory headlines we've had recently, you know, I think a lot of folks thought that we'd immediately sell off on that. And though we did, we quickly retraced those um, moves. And, you know, that I found very surprising because while the headlines weren't as bad as feared, it's hard to say we really got any regulatory clarity 
Um, certainly not the clarity that our space is seeking. So um, I, I was very surprised by that price action, you know, but I think it's because, you know, crypto is a momentum driven market and this momentum will continue until something cracks it. Now, it's my view that from here, I think the risk is certainly to the downside. Rate expectations, as uh, David mentioned, you know, have moved up. Equities are starting to, to weaken a bit. So I'd expect to see some of this uh, softness from traditional risk assets filter into our market. Um, you know, we do have some very positive catalysts coming up, you know, Shanghai, Polygon, ZK launch, you know, the Hong Kong and Middle East seem to be more welcoming to crypto. So, you know, maybe we're already seeing that Asian flow and you know, maybe we'll see it soon. But I don't know if that's enough to power us higher from here, especially as positioning looks to be relatively long. You know, if we think about how we got from the lows of you know late December to here, it was positioning was was short and then you know very flat. Um, now that seems to have flipped. You know, March basis is at eight percent. Funding rates are positive almost across the board. Um, so I would be very cautious this week trade with tight stops and wait for a sustained break above 25,000 in BTC before adding any real length. Um, if we do get that break, of course, you know, we could see the whole complex significantly higher um, because there really isn't much resistance between 25,000 and 30. Uh, but I'm not confident we're going to see that range yet. Yeah, it definitely seems fair. We, we've definitely struggled at 25K and tried to break it a number of times and kind of come come back. Um, David, how should we think about this with regards to kind of liquidity conditions? Yeah, I think that's another piece of the puzzle that we need to consider because the, don't get me wrong, the Fed monetary policy, that's a big part of what's kind of driving the markets at the moment. But, you know, the fact that, for example, the uh, Treasury is running down t the TGA balance, I think that's something that also is supporting because we've hit the debt ceiling limit, which means that, you know, we need to kind of dip into those the, the TGA in order to kind of pay for things. That liquidity is entering the market. Some of that is just really kind of offsetting some of the QT uh, on the Fed's balance sheet that has been going on. But I think, you know, that in combination with the way we've been seeing the uh, reverse repo kind of balance kind of moving, I think all of that has at least supported liquidity and therefore demand uh, at the margin. Interesting. So to tightly poised to uh, watching that next move, guys. Um, I think that's a wrap for this week. Thank you all for for dialing in. Thank you for the team, to the team and the production compliance legal, everyone that helps make this call possible. And uh, yeah, we'll watch out for another interesting week in crypto and good luck out there. All statements and analysis correspond to the date of this recording. This recording is only intended for sophisticated investors. This recording should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Coinbase nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this recording. The views expressed in this recording are not necessarily those of Coinbase. Coinbase is not providing any financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations. The receipt of this recording by any listener is not to be taken as a giving of investment advice by Coinbase to that listener.